I had an interesting morning this morning. Point of confession here to you this morning. Sitting there in my prayer time, talking to God about peace, and feeling confusion for whatever reason. Like the enemy wanted to bombard my, my mind with confusion. And it's during that time that I was reminded that this world that we live in is filled with chaos and confusion, isn't it? And the enemy would love nothing more than to take the confusion of this world with everything that's going on, cloud our minds, rob us of our peace. But as you'll see today in the passage of scripture that I'm going to read for you and we're going to dissect a bit as we talk about peace, the greater one and his perfect peace lives on the inside of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and then when you find it, hold your place there. We're going to come back to it. Luke chapter 2. I have, a, I have a poem in my hand that this time of the year I love to revisit. It's a poem that was written on Christmas Day back in 1963 by the renowned poet William Wadsworth Longfellow. And Longfellow's poem is a classic because it captures the stark contrast between the warm thoughts of Christmas that we like to experience this year and the, this time of year and the promise of hope and love, and joy, and peace. It mixes that with the sobering reality of the, of the world that we live in. This poem was written during the time of the Civil War and highlights what Longfellow must have felt as he dealt with the realities of war and death. His wife had died recently. His son had been critically injured in battle and wasn't expected to live. And it's in the backdrop of this pain that he writes this poem, Christmas Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from the black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlong the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now I'm going to tip my hand a bit because I'm so glad that somewhere deep inside of Longfellow, I believe that something conjured up in him the truth of who God is and the peace that's available to him. 
And here's what he writes in the very last stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail and right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. I'm so glad the story didn't end with that doom and despair, right? But can you feel the pain and the hopelessness in this poem? Can you feel it? I can. And I can imagine that this poem being 150 years old, you know, what was going on in that day, if you put it in today's text, the same can be written about our world today, can it? When will these bloody wars end? When will the fighting cease? When will the pain that we're experiencing go away? When will there be peace on earth? And if you go back even further, this must have been how the Jews felt at the time that Christ came. It had been nearly a thousand years since the Old Testament prophets had begun prophesying the coming of Messiah. And it had been almost 400 years since the, the writing of the last book of Malachi. And there are many historians that call these 400 years the silent years because there's no historical record of prophecies written or uttered during that time. And at the time of Christ, the Jewish nation had been overthrown by the powerful Roman government. They were under Roman oppression. They were being heavily persecuted. The Roman government had disdain for the Jewish law and the God that they served. How can you serve one God that you can't see, that you can't touch, that you can't feel? It was point, pointless to them. You can't smell him. You can't taste him. Yet in spite of Roman oppression, there are many Jews that continued in their devotion to God. They continued to abide by the rules of the Jewish laws of their culture, reading and rehearsing scripture daily, faithfully praying to the God they serve daily, offering up sacrifices to God daily in the face of all the adversity that they faced. Sound familiar? It's the world we live in today. I told you to join me, if you would, if, if you had your Bibles in Luke chapter 2. Um, unfortunately, because we don't have uh, PowerPoint today, you're just going to follow along with me. I'll give you the points if you're writing them down, and you can, you can write them down as we go. Okay? So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, chronicles one of these guys that we were talking about just a minute ago, that, that in spite of what they were faced with, with the opposition and the oppression of the Roman government, still continued to be faithful to their devotion to God. Drop down to verse 25. We're going to talk about a man named Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. My version might read a little different than yours. I'm reading out of the ESV. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting. Everybody say waiting. waiting. Yeah, that word consolation means he was waiting for the comfort of Israel that they would experience at the coming of Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law, he circumcised on the eighth day, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Listen. The Holy Spirit was on him. You know, we'll keep ourselves out of a lot of trouble if we learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can keep a lot of the noise out of our head by learning the voice of the Holy Spirit and following him and him alone. God can reveal to us things that he has in our lives that are relevant for whatever situation that we're in by simply tuning in to his voice and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't just by chance that Simeon ended up in the temple that day. The Holy Spirit led him to that temple at the time when Mary and Joseph were bringing the Messiah. And because of that, listen to what he says in verse 29. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people. Wow. And so you might be asking, so pastor, how does this apply to me today? What does this story have to do with me? Well, I want to give you two or three timeless truths from this passage that if you'll apply these timeless truths, you'll be able to experience the promise of God's peace in your life, guaranteed. Okay? Here we go. The first, the first one is this. The promise of God's peace is for those who will embrace it. Who will embrace it. It's God's desire for every one of his children to experience the same wonder-filled peace that Simeon filled when he held the baby Jesus in his arms. And God wants to reveal to us his peace that we find in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to enjoy the promised peace that comes only from relationship with him. We have to embrace it. Do we need it? Yeah. Yeah. Just take a look at the world around you, man. Our world is in a mess, isn't it? Isn't it? Worldwide, war and poverty in the Middle East and Africa have forced record numbers to flee their homes. You've read the stories. It has fueled Europe's largest refuge, refugee migrant crisis since World War II. The number of international migrants has tripled over the past 50 years. From the time I was born in 1960, where there was only 79 million people that are refugees, to nearly 250 million people worldwide in 2015 that are fleeing persecution. 250 million people. Our world's a mess. Nationally, much like the Jews living in, in a pagan, polytheistic Roman society, we live in a very materialistic, consumeristic inside society, don't we? Idol worship is rampant. You know what an idol, do you know what an idol is? An idol is anything that sits on the throne of your heart, reserved or should be reserved for God. Anything. We live in a nation that's 
filled and consumed with idol worship. Our, our nation is chasing after the gods that they can see and touch and taste and smell, much like the Roman government in the time of Christ. We don't want to wait for anything anymore, do we? Everything is at the touch of a button. We want it now. We want it now. Further, the biblical principles this country was founded on are now strongly being opposed at every turn. Christian persecution in the U.S. is very real, and it's on the rise. In his book, The End, is, is This the End? Dr. David Jeremiah defines biblical persecution. Listen to this now, because we look at persecution as being martyrdom. It's not always martyrdom. Biblical persecution is any oppression and violence affecting the body and mind and emotions. Then he goes on to quote from Christianity Today, and I quote, most persecution is nonviolent. Instead, of it's, instead, it's a squeeze of Christians in five spheres of life, private, family, community, national, in church, the squeeze. <laughs> Any of you felt the squeeze? How many of you work? See your hands. Can you take your Bible to work and read it openly? How about, how about, you say you do? Hmm. Some of us, some of you can, but the large majority of us can't. How about open prayer? I'm a pastor. I pray all the time. And do you know I'm still cautious, depending on the environment that I'm in, to openly pray for people because of the persecution that we've experienced that now is in our minds? Yeah. It's very real. And that's nationally. The truth is, we don't even, look, we don't even need to look very far to see the trouble that's in front of us because it's right here in our city in our state, I'm connected to the APD uh, thing that comes up on your phone whenever there's a crisis, there's a community alert, or a NICSOL or a community advisory where something's happening. Man, sometimes, sometimes I have to cut my phone off because it's depressing. People being shot and robbed and murdered and houses broken into. The UPS truck was stolen the other day. A UPS truck. This world's a mess, man. Our city's a mess. Do we need the peace of God? Absolutely. We do. Where does it begin? The peace of God begins with the relationship with Jesus Christ. From our text today, Simeon had a deep devotion to God that led to a revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you simply cannot, we simply cannot experience the peace of God outside of relationship with the Prince of Peace. It's impossible. He is our peace. And our text goes on to say that the promise of his peace is available to anyone who chooses it. Verses 31 and 32 say this, that, that salvation is a free gift to all people without distinction. It's available to everyone. We all have equal access to the peace of God that comes through faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ, but we have to embrace it. 
And let me say this. Does this mean that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we get to walk around in peaceful bliss all the time? No, absolutely not. Jesus said it this way, in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that everything you need to overcome the cares of this world and live in the peace of God, God has already given you through Jesus Christ? He has. But it's not going to come easy. Not in this world. This, this statement is counterintuitive when you think about peace. If we want peace, the peace of God in this world, we're going to have to fight for it. We are. Write this down. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is the absence, the absence of hostility. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is the absence of hostility. There's a war going on all around us all the time. We have a very real enemy whose job is to come and steal, kill, and destroy, don't we? He comes to rob us of our peace, and we have to resist him. Resistance doesn't mean going to a shell. That word resist in the Greek means to, to mount an offensive, to stand, to take a position and stand. We've got to fight for peace. We do. James tells us to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. And when we do, he'll flee from us. So how do we resist? How do we practically resist the devil? preserve the peace of God on the inside of us. Simple. Two simple yet powerful things. We find them in Ephesians. They're part of the armor of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and incessant prayer. Did you, do you realize that prayer is one of the most formidable weapons we have in our weaponry? Did you realize that the word of God can combat any satanic, any thought that's satanically influenced in your mind? Let's just talk about peace for a minute. In the King James Version, there are over, there are almost 500 mentions of the word peace in the King James Version. Can you imagine how the enemy would have to flee from you if you just memorized half of those passages of peace, what the word of God says? The sword of the spirit, the word of God is a weapon that we can use to maintain the peace that is available to us through relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Yeah. And daily prayer. You cannot have a relationship with God without talking to him. Prayer is, is not just one-way communication, family. Prayer is two-way communication. Prayer is me talking to God and me sometimes listening. Amen? Listen, I've said this before. I want to say it again. I'll, 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 I'll do it like this. This is, this is a good way to do it. So, Mike, if Jackie called you on your phone without cheating and listening at the caller, looking at the caller ID, 
how long would it take for you to recognize Jackie's voice? I'm, I'm, the man, you know, be careful now. People recognize my voice across the grocery store. That's a pretty easy one. Yeah, you, Brad, you have a pretty distinct voice. Let me go to somebody else. Eric, Eric. This is a test, brother. Don't fail it now. Tanya called you on the phone. You're not looking at your caller ID. How long would it take for you to recognize Tanya's voice? Hey, baby. <laughs> and, you know, and you know it's her, right? Why is that? Say it again. Constant relationship, constant communication, constant conversation. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a two-way conversation between two people that are in love. I love Jesus. He loves me. I talk to him all the time. And the more I talk to him, the closer I get. And the closer I get to him, the, the less opportunity that the enemy has to come between me and God and disturb my peace. Amen. Our conversation with God and us being able to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit should be just like you recognizing Jackie's voice and you recognizing Mike's voice and you, Tanya, recognizing Eric's voice and vice versa. And when we get that close to our relationship, in our relationship with God, nothing can disturb our peace. Philippians 4 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everybody say everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Read God's word. Talk to him consistently. Embrace the promises that he's made to you about peace and watch and see if your peace remains even in the time of turmoil. Amen? Here's a second and final point. I'm almost done, you guys. Don't, nobody say amen. I'm just saying. If we want to enjoy God's promise of peace, We've got to expect it. We have to expect it. And not just in the hereafter, but in the here and now. We have to expect it. And here's the truth. Sometimes we have to wait on it. You know, there's an old saying from some of the old folk. You know, I, I'm kind of, that's, that's pretty close to me, actually. I'm getting to be one of those old folk now. I just think it. But the old folks used to say, baby, he may not come when, he want, when you want him, but he's always right on time. <laughs> right? He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Hmm. Look, God's timing is not always our timing. Simeon waited with great expectation for the coming of Messiah. Sometimes we don't want to wait a day for something. We want it right now. 
<laughs> and in fact, some of our greatest heartaches in life stems from our unwillingness to wait on the promises of God. We, we, try to, we get tired of waiting for God to grant us his peace, and so we go out and try to manufacture our own peace. <laughs> and listen, manufactured peace more often than not will lead us to heartache and pain, family. Untimely relationships. Debt that's out of control. Come on, somebody. Pain. Hmm. When we search for ways to find peace in our own strength, we fail to look for God's provision for us. Where will you look to find peace this year? If you look to find it in anything other than relationship with the Prince of Peace, the true reason for the season, I guarantee you, you will come up empty. People of wealth are committing suicide all the time because their lives are empty. They have no peace. Doesn't matter what you have on the outside. What matters is what you have on the inside. Amen? Amen? So, don't get impatient. Keep praying. Trust God's timing. Trust in his promises. Because his promises are true. He's never failed to fulfill not even one of them. And if you've been praying about something and it, you're not getting it yet and it's disturbing your peace, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You know, sometimes, mm, sometimes we need to quit begging God for stuff and just be thankful. You have, I've, done this, I've done this so many times. Have you ever... Stepped outside of your own cares and stepped into somebody else's. You know, you're going through some stuff in your life and, 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 uh, and your stuff seems like it's, it's heavy and it is because it's real to you. And somebody comes along with a worse problem than you. And the Lord uses you to minister to that person. And for that moment, for that moment, you step outside of yourself. All your problems, you don't even think about your own problems for a while, do you? Listen to me. Sometimes if we just praise God and thank God for what he's already done and what he's currently doing in our lives, our problems won't seem as big as they are. And the peace of God that comes with praise and thanksgiving will guard our hearts and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. It will. Don't let anything disturb your peace. My mentor, God, God rest him, man, my horse bias. Man, I man said, Gregory, that's how he talked, Gregory. Don't let, I don't, I don't let nothing disturb my peace. Because when your peace is disturbed, everything is jacked up. Think about it. When your peace is disturbed, everything is disturbed. Am I right about it? 
That's why the Bible tells us in Colossians 3 and 15, let the peace of God rule. Everybody say rule. Let the peace of God govern your hearts. He'll keep us in perfect peace if we keep our minds stayed on him, Isaiah. Peace that surpasses all of our understanding. So I want to close with this. I would say, Mitch, why don't you come to the piano where Mitch is gone? Praise report. Emily's graduating college today with her associate's degree. And Mitch asked me, could he go? And I told him no, and he went anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you, we, need, we need to celebrate those things, don't we? Let me close with this. The sacrifice, this is, this, is, this, is, this is the whole reason for Christmas right here. The sacrifice of Jesus makes peace with God possible. I said it once and I say it again. Peace is not the absence of war. War is going on all around us all of the time. Peace is the absence of hostility. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ became the ransom for our sins. And in Christ, because he took on human flesh and came down to this earth in the form of a baby, lived a perfectly sinless life, went to the cross as the only perfect sacrifice ever needed. And because he did that, he paid the ransom for our debt. His sacrifice addressed the hostility that was between God and man that began in the garden when we rebelled against God in disobedience. Jesus Christ paid it all. Our debt is paid in full. But it doesn't stop there, family, because this is our hope. This is where we find peace. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is proof that God accepted, God the Father accepted Christ's ransom for us. You see, without the resurrection, there is no Christmas. And apart from Christ, there is no peace. The risen Christ is the promise of our peace. Watch this now. Not just here in this world that we live in, where we can live a peaceful life. But he promised us and God always keeps his promises. I'm not going to leave you here in the midst of this turmoil. One of these days, I'm coming back. We'll never experience full peace this side of heaven. But one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And those of us who are ready to go with him are going to be caught up in a moment to meet him in the air. And then he's going to come back here and he's going to establish his reign forever. And we will live in the perfect peace of God for eternity. Connie said, yay. <laughs> I'm with that Connie. I say, yay. <laughs> I want to stand to your feet. I want to close with this.
want to close by reading Isaiah chapter 9 today. Beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs>